Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome to The Everything is Black and White, a Newcastle United podcast brought to you by Chronicle Live. We are the only place you need to come for all the up-to-date news about your club. We have a panel of expert writers who have covered the club for many, many years. We have legends of the game who also join us as special guests as well as writers from further afield. Hit that subscribe button and get your weekly update of Newcastle United. Hello and welcome to part two of our NUFC Lockdown Live. Hopefully you enjoyed part one. Uh, we're back with our team of writers, including the mirror, Simon Bird, and we answer questions from our listeners, from our viewers who've emailed in to talk about the Newcastle United takeover and everything that goes with it. So sit back and enjoy part two. We're going to move on to a question from Neil Henderson, who wants to know what we think the panel thinks. I'll open up to the panel. I'll go to Sean first. He wants to know what we think about the hopes and ambitions of the prospective new owners. Now, likely he says it's a bit difficult to kind of predict what they're going to do, but we assume they're going to come in with a, a fair budget and, and, and want to take Newcastle understandably up the league. Sean, um, Neil asks, how long do we think realistically it'll take for Newcastle United to challenge for a Champions League spot? Um, I think realistically that's going to take a while. Um, we, we don't kind of know what kind of market they'll be operating in for a start this summer. It's not going to be a similar scattergun approach like you saw with the likes of Chelsea and Manchester City because of financial fair play. Um, you know they're going to come. They're going to, with a lot, they're going to have a lot of money. They're going to work, working from a solid base. Um, but you're not. Going, I don't think you're going to see the kind of transformative transfer windows they had in the first couple. Of windows just purely because of the financial fair play and the market that Newcastle are going to be operating in this summer. Obviously, COVID 19 is going to affect the transfer business of a lot of Premier League clubs. I was reading today that Arsenal and Tottenham, obviously, two massive clubs with, with big money behind them, won't be looking to buy, actively look to buy players this summer because of the situation. Um, so it's going to be a seller's market. It's going to drive a lot of, you know, if Newcastle are going to try and prize players away from clubs, it's going to take a lot of money to do so. Um, so I think you know we've got to be realistic. Newcastle are a mid-table team at the moment. Who the last three seasons, the first pri- the first primary ambition has been to avoid relegation. Um, if you're going to look at the next step, I suppose it's going to be kind of putting themselves in that bracket, that mid-table top half bracket with the likes of Everton, the likes of Leicester, who've got a bit of money by the Wolves as well, a bit of money behind them, who are consistently challenging the top half of the table. If they can get into that kind of situation, who knows they could nick a Europa League spot, they could go on a cup run. But I think that's going to be the medium-term ambition for this new ownership is to try and establish Newcastle as a top-half Premier League team. Anything from there is a bonus. And as you've seen with Leicester this season, once you've kind of established that base, the platform's there to build on. And then that's when you can start talking about going to the Champions League. Obviously, they've been linked with a lot of players. I think Kieran wrote a piece a couple of weeks ago talking about Edison Cavani's camp actively talking about links. You're going to get that with the amount of money that these Saudi owners are going to come in with. But you've got to be realistic in the market that Newcastle operating in. It's not the same as what Manchester City and Chelsea had before. 
because of COVID, there's going to be these financial restrictions and there's going to be clubs that are going to hold out for big fees if you are going to sell players because they're not going to want to sell players. So it's a different situation Newcastle are facing and we're going to wait and see the kind of market they're operating in before you can make any of these kind of judgments. You share that, Simon? I mean, kind of a gradual build, especially as Sean mentions there, due to the COVID-19, that's, that's going to have an impact. I think Mourinho said today that um, you know, he could see transfer fees half, I think, was, was the story I read on the PA. So, a gradual build? Yeah, absolutely. He's dead right there. It, it's going to be a, definitely going to be a buyer's market. It is a great time, even with, a, even with a modest budget, to be taking over a football club because there are going to be clubs, you know, Premier League clubs paying millions of pounds back of their TV money. There's going to be clubs in Italy and Germany desperate to raise cash. So they could have, it, they could have a good chance of nicking some decent, decent talent um, when the transfer window does open because we don't even know when it is going to open yet or when the, se- the next season starts. Obviously, the biggest decision they've got to make is see this season out, keep the team up in the league, in the Premier League. But but then, what do you do with the manager? What do you do with Steve Bruce? Who can you get in? Is it Pochettino? Is it Rafa? For me, Rafa would make the most sense. And bringing him back knows the place, and he, he has exceptional contacts around Europe, and he will know exactly who to go for. I'd love to see him get a second chance at, at Newcastle with a regime who wants to take it places. Um, so it is a good time to build, but I think everyone's got to be sort of a little bit patient and a little bit... Some of the stories which you keep reading are not on your Chronicle website or sometimes on the Mirror website, but not by me. Just, it's like fantasy football. Again, it's remarkable what some of the players are being linked with. We've had 12 years of Newcastle basically not being linked with anyone because if you got a tip that it was going to be a player from Europe it would be immediately denied by the club and you'd get a legal letter saying we're not interested in that, that good player um, many years ago. So it, we're in a whole new ball game journalistically as well, trying to find out who they're going to sign. It's, it's going to be fascinating. Um, but yeah, a bit of patience. And we also don't know how much extra money on top of this 300 million that they're spending on the club that they're going to put in. It's, if it's, are they going to borrow this money against the club, which is kind of a bit dodgy, a bit puts the club a little bit at risk, or is there going to be another 200 million on top of the on top of the 300 million they're already spending to properly relaunch this thing, in which case it's not a 300 million takeover, it's a half a, half a, half a billion pound takeover. And that'd be interesting when they put out their mission statement when, when they take over to discover all this and debate all this again. Certainly, well, uh, Kieran, uh, I mean, I, I, everyone is excited about the names being linked, and like Sean mentioned there, you have Claire Camps talking links up. I guess the kind of the underlying excitement for some might be the fact that Amanda Stavely has just never gone away. You know, she's she was interested, it didn't work out, but she's always been kind of there in the background working on this deal and it looks eventually like she might not only complete the deal, but complete it with one of the, the richest kind of public uh, public investment funds in the, in, in the world. Yeah, that persistence has been at the heart of this, hasn't it? I mean... I know Mike Ashley said a lot of stuff that hasn't washed over the years, but I think a lot of people, when it was suggested she was a tire kicker, it stuck, um, you know, wrongly really, but that label kind of stuck with her and she went in the background. I mean, even when, you know, we, we did pieces going back to last April saying, you know, PCP Capital Partners were still monitoring things. We're struck by the, you know, the fans, the time they visited, the great admiration they have for the club. I don't think the fans necessarily wanted to hear that at the time. I think she'd been written off by some um, when it came to a prospective takeover. And the fact is she's gone and got that back in now. And 
it is a game changer. That's that's why we're we're talking about it now. That's why this takeover has never been so close in 13 years because you have the Saudi involvement. And I think what would excite me more about this is, as as you said, that persistence. But I think she gets it. She's obviously a northerner, and she understands how important the fans are going forward. And I think there's so many easy wins for them to walk into without really thinking about it. You know, even before you get to Kevin Keegan and Alan Shearer, just think of, you know, the furlough and a staff or uh, the season ticket renewal funds. You know, there's so many easy wins for them that could get the fans on board even more than they already will be because the supporters are excited about this. And I think it shows that they have looked at other clubs, PCP, but it's quite telling that, you know, in this three-year period, they've come back from Newcastle. And I think that that is the most intriguing thing about this, that there's clearly uh, an admiration at the heart of this. Kieran mentions early the kind of the easy wins and I guess one of them that I think we can all agree on would be some work to the training ground. Um, in a way, kind of a blank canvas to work on maybe because it it needs so much work doing in many ways that you could maybe tear it all down and just rebuild from scratch. I mean, the thing with the training ground is, is I mean, it's, it's, it's not the complete dump that it's, it's made out on, on social media sometimes and the paddling pool thing is was the worst thing they they ever done. But I think anyone going there would have a, a very basic structure to to maybe start thinking about doing something um, more special with it. Uh, you look round; they've, they've missed an opportunity really in recent years because there's houses being built up at the front of the training ground and houses round the side. So that was all uh, land that they could have possibly picked up on. And realistically, um, they, they could decide to, to sell the land they've got um, and, and start from scratch somewhere else where that would be would, would be an interesting possibility I mean I have to say I've, I've been to Manchester City's training ground and you know it is it's something else it's you know it's 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 space age almost and Newcastle are a million miles behind that so there's a lot of work to be done on that I think the training ground's a good place to start um, the stadium you have a, a good walk around it these days I mean Sometimes people just go into the <clears throat> into the turnstile that they've used for, for 20, 30 years. But I think if you have a, a walk right round the ground, uh, you can see that it's it's looking pretty pretty tatty in, in certain places. So I think the ground obviously needs a, a good a good look at as well. Um, the Ruben brothers have got a property background, so I suppose you've got people in there who, who know exactly what they're doing. Um, so yeah, I'm. You know, as a journalist and as a supporter, I'm I'm really excited about the potential what they can what they can come in and do, and if they can, you know, take take it up to like, as I say, the Manchester City level. I'm not saying win every single trophy out there, as we keep saying, we want a team that tries, but certainly try and make the place um, a bit more accessible, um, a bit more nice to be at. I think that'd be great. Just going to bring Neil back in. I mean, Neil, from your point of view, there's a lot of competitiveness. In the region, Lee mentioned there. Look at the Man City and what they've done, and then obviously you got over the road. You can look at um, you can look at PSG as well, where you know they've obviously got a lot of money. There is that kind of competitiveness that runs through the Middle East, and if they do come in, and then the takeover does get signed off, can you see that competitiveness running through what they do, not just on the pitch but off it? They'll not be here to just take part. It's as simple as that. Uh, everything here boils down to my car's quicker, my tower's taller, 
I've got the most Guinness World Records. That's one of the bizarre things out here at the minute. All the different cities and regions seem to be breaking these obscure Guinness World Records for no apparent reason, but that's what it's all about. It's about creating a, um, you know, it, it's mine's better, mine's bigger, mine's faster. And there's absolutely no way, if Saudi Arabia are absolutely all in on this deal, there's no way they're here just to take part. Thank you very much, Neil. Uh, Mark, Lee mentioned there again, the Rubin brothers. Um, they're very, a very quiet family, very rich family, but they don't do much media interviews. Uh, Jamie, who is he's said to be on the, the, the board, should this takeover be passed, I think he did his first interview in 10 years um, last month. And then I think his, his, his um, father and his uncle um, haven't done one in something like 14 years. So I've seen a lot of people saying, well, why aren't we chasing these down? Why aren't we trying to get in contact? I mean, what, what would be your answer to, to, you know, the question of why haven't we managed to get anything from the Ruben Brothers side? So, I mean, the Ruben Brothers, obviously, um, a 10%, would potentially take a 10% stake, but I don't think that the two Ruben Brothers, who are, who are obviously the two most high profile, um, would, would be particularly a part of this um, part of the Newcastle United board. I think it would be Jamie. I think he's the one driving it as well. I think we've had a. I think we've had a statement from um, the Rubens. I think there's, you know, that is as far as things have gone at the moment. I think we, you know, we have to kind of accept at, at this point that you know the buyers can't say too much. I think there's, you know, they, they, they are uh, tagged into NDA, so getting stuff on the record from any of the three people involved is, is, is proving quite, quite tough. Um, I think we're also, you know, you have to, you have to think that it would probably be Amanda Staley at first or her group that would be the, the people sort of leading it being the, uh, the people who are who potentially um, kind of fronting uh, the Newcastle United bit at the moment. I know there's people involved in that, in that project who, who are, you know, be a lot more comfortable talking than, than people in, who've been involved around the Ashley end the Rubens just haven't talked really much at all. So I just don't think that they will, um, you know, I don't think that they'll be a particularly public facing part of it. I think it'll be when things, when things start, it'll be potentially Amanda Stavely um, who will do the interviews. Obviously we've seen Yasser Ramayan, who's potentially going to be on the board as well. I think you'll probably see him yeah. doing bits and bobs as well. He seems pretty comfortable in front of the camera as well. Um, but the, uh, the Rubens, I can't see David and Simon, uh, sitting down with the local press any anytime soon but uh, in terms of getting them on the record at the moment um obviously I don't want to go into too much of the of the work that's being done by our guys at the moment but it's just impossible to get people who are involved in what is a confidential process to go on the record at this point just as it is with the Premier League and and I know it infuriates people to see sources uh, quoted uh, left right and center but unfortunately if it wasn't for attributing stuff to sources you would literally have no idea and it would have been silence for seven weeks which I think probably would have been worse than than where we stand I mean Lee's piece this today you know is is hopefully I think the, the first thing that people would have seen when they saw the story last night was well where does that leave us and whether you you know obviously we, we can't say what, what's happening with the Premier League but the next point of call is with the buyers um, or people around the buyers or sources who will know what the buyers are thinking. Um, and I think that's where you have to go next. And that's what we did. Um, and, and, and that's where we are. But the Rubens are an interesting little um, part of it. But I think obviously they're in there 
partly I think because of their property background and partly also because um, they were part of the original 2017 bid as well. Simon, I mean, the Ruben brothers obviously have interest in a, a vibrant Newcastle. Um, you know, you've got a bit of interest with the council and what have you, so you kind of understand the, maybe the business side of it a bit more, the, the city. I mean, do you think that they'd be, they are interested in seeing Newcastle successful on the pitch because of the direct kind of reaction it would have in the city? You know, you get the bars full, you get more money coming in, especially in this COVID-19 kind of situation. Just unmute there. There yeah, we go. There you go, Simon. Um, yeah. So um, I, I don't know why. I, the question is why? Why would multi multi billionaires want just ten percent of Newcastle? I, kind of like I, I would like their rule to be explained. I mean, what are they what they're going to get out of this? They're not they're not going to run Newcastle. They're not going to get the reflected glory of being part of Newcastle really with a ten percent stake. So I'm like kind of would like to know why they're taking 30, 30 million stake in Newcastle. Lee touched on something interesting before. Can you sell a training ground off and develop it? Get your money back immediately by doing that? Or half of it even? I, I'm a bit suspicious about it. I, I don't know, I, I don't know why, why they fit in, where they fit in. I also regularly hear it's going to be great for the city because they're going to invest in the city. Well, the Rubin brothers own a big chunk of the city. They've got the race course, but they've also got a bit of land um, from I think from the stack down to the roundabout um, uh, where the Audience Cinema used to be, and that's largely gone undeveloped for for a long long time. Um, and I think efforts were being made a long time ago, um, council wise, to to get them to to pick up the phone even to develop that. So, I, you know, I think they could have developed the land that they've got in Newcastle much quicker years ago. So. Maybe they'll do it now. They're involved in Newcastle. Maybe there's more of an interest in making it a vibrant town um, and using their assets more. So it would be interesting to see what their explanation is for putting their money up and, and exactly how they claw that back and, and keeping an open mind about how they might do that in the future. Tasha, Sean, a few questions on what Mike Ashley might do next. Um, there was a link in the, the, the paper papers over the weekend that he's looking at a, a League One or Two club, one that has won the League Cup and FA Cup, but fallen. Um, Wayside. Um, this question came in from uh, David Furness, and he says, "Do you think Mike Ashley would take on Sunderland?" I guess the question really is, "What would what would what would he do next?" It'd be interesting, isn't it? In terms of the Premier League, I think he's he's he's, he's this, this experience has burned him. I can't see him coming back into the Premier League anytime soon. But you know, from from every interview, which obviously. I've, it's a rare occurrence, but if you believe what he says, he says he's a football fan. He says he's been passionate about the sport for a long time. Um, so you know there is potential for him to go down the way of the league, where there wouldn't be the the necessary need to spend the amount of money he needs to compete in the Premier League. Um, will, will he will he have time? Will he will he have the patience, I suppose, to 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 go into those kind of projects? Who knows? But it wouldn't be the biggest surprise in the world to see him going to football. I can't see him go, going to Sunderland, although that would be the kind of ultimate kind of insult in, t- in terms of his Newcastle tenure. <laughs> and Kieran, I mean, we'll go back to that piece that you wrote earlier in the week. Was it the people you spoke to? Was there any insight on what he actually might do? Obviously, people say no. His focus probably should be on retail at this point, where he might be able to snap up a bargain and having say 280 million 300 million in your in your bank account it's it's not a bad amount to have if uh, 
you want to say stop up a, a department store that is going down this morning? Yeah, of course. I mean, just when you think there's certain high street chains that are screwed, he comes in with a bid. That's that's what he's done a lot the past couple of years in particular. Um, I, I'd echo Sean's view there. I, I think um, he won't be burnt by the Newcastle experience. I think he's learned a lot about football, but the way he looks at football hasn't changed. I think if he was to buy another club, he would run it effectively the same way. I think he'll... If this takeover doesn't go through, I don't want to worry people, but he'll just keep making the same mistakes. It's, it's just Ashley, isn't it? It's every you know six months there's going to be a bump in the road, and I think what's interesting is um, you know you look at he bought a minority stake in Rangers a few years ago. He actually wants to increase that stake. That's not a man who wants to get out of football. That's a man who sees you know there are opportunities in football still, and that was when he was still Newcastle owner. I know he still is, but. Um, you know, conflict of interest, if you like, and I could I could see him staying in the game. Like Sean, I, I'd be surprised if it was a Premier League club, but I think he his idea, the way he wants to run a club, you could definitely see it somewhere else. Uh, Lee, a question from Alan Hall, um, who asks, "Will we, the Chronicle, and I imagine the other regional uh, journalists as well, be glad for better access to the club to the players?" And he asks. Have the local journalists been treated um, badly by the current owners? I mean, the, the, what is the access like? Can you give an insight into just kind of, I mean, how how it works with the club in terms of getting maybe play interviews, something like that? I mean, would you, are you looking forward to kind of a, a kind of a clean slate, so to speak? Yeah, I mean, I would say so. Access to Mike Ashley's been has been non-existent basically in the last. 13 years, he's shown no interest in any of the local journalists. Uh, always makes me laugh when I see people sending tweets saying, oh, you're in Mike Ashley's pocket and all that, because it couldn't be further from the truth. Because Mike Ashley just doesn't want to do interviews. Um, Derek Lambias um, did a little bit with journalists. Uh, I think I think Neil was it uh, here when I was in the room with him and he said, that Newcastle were going to be challenging for everything uh, within five years. That was quite uh, amusing. Um, but generally, uh, the playing staff and the coaching staff and, and all the managers, uh, the access is, is, is quite good. I think it's, I speak to Premier League sort of counterparts, um, like lads who cover Man City, Man United, Chelsea, they really struggle to get player interviews. But I can, I can say each player at Newcastle, um, usually steps up and, and speaks. We, we get good access on that score, but we just would like a bit more uh, from the people upstairs. Um, you know what the vision is. Uh, Lee Charnley's done bits and pieces, but very cautious about what he says, probably because he's worried about what Mike Ashley's going to think. I think Mike Ashley has has ran the club by fear internally. Um, so hopefully we're going to get a, a fair crack of the whip. Mike Ashley's never done a press conference, of course, where he's been in a room where people can ask open questions. Um, it would be good to see that scenario where everyone gets a, a chance to, to speak. But overall, um, we have to wait and see. I th- I, I'm getting vibes already from some of the people involved that the, the PR is going gonna, is gonna to be a lot better and there, there is going to be that opportunity, not only for the fans, um, but the media to... To, to get those questions in. And I think that a clean slate is what everyone wants. Kieran, I mean, how are you expecting 
Are you when the announcement does go through? Do, are you expecting like Lee's kind of reference there? Maybe a, a press conference. Uh, I mean, obviously, in the times we've got now, it might be a bit different to how they would have imagined it. But I think you do speak to people, the communication is going to play a huge part in what the new owners want to do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even if you look at the money they've invested already and the kind of relationships they have with PR firms, I think each section of the consortium has a link with a PR firm uh, over here in the UK. So it's, I think a lot of the kind of plans are there for those easy wins, you know, as I was saying, to, to reconnect with the fans, the fans forums. Um, from my experience, uh, as Lee touched on with the access, you know, I used to cover Man U and used to have the manager sit at the top of the presser, do seven minutes, and that was it for everyone, broadcasts, written media. Uh, at Newcastle, I think it's, 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 it's really good in the sense that, you know, Steve Bruce will sit with the radio, he'll sit with uh, broadcasters, and he'll sit with us written journalists as well. And um, I don't think you can... You can um, have a complaint about that with that side of the club, but yeah, I think in terms of the amount of times where even since I've been here in Newcastle, where there's just been this obscene vacuum um, where the club, you just there are people in the club who I'm sure want to comment on things and they can't. And football clubs shouldn't be like that, you know. The Ashley is a custodian of the club, and he's not really treated like a football club owner has and should. And that's probably what I think we as journalists are looking forward to. It's not that we're writing positive stories all the time. It's just that you can get an insight into how higher level figures are thinking. You know, Charlie, start of the season came up, his first promo note said, you know, there'll be, you'll hear more from me, you'll be hearing more from Steve Nixon. Um, I don't think Steve Nixon's gone on the record yet. Um, that, that's what needs to change at the club. This, they wonder why the coverage is sometimes a bit, well, well, if your kind of ethos is a bit confusing, then that's how the coverage is going to be. So I think there's that's the most exciting thing. And it's so simple, but you just want to know how the club's been run. Alex, from the point of the NUST, briefly covered it, but I mean, that communication's key, isn't it, for you guys? You want to be able to sit down and discuss any issues you have. I mean, one of the questions we've got is about, um, you know, say, for instance, the season ticket money's been taken out or those... Uh, tickets that were bought for the for the remainder of the season, um, which obviously won't be played in front of a crowd. It's them kind of issues that you would like some you know response to and more more communication. Yeah, definitely. I think it's not just about speaking to people right at the top of the club. That obviously that would be really really important for us moving forward to to give members and the wider fan base an idea of the plans for the football club and. Um, you know where, where new owners see the football club go, but, it, but it's also being able to get, you know, quick answers, quick solutions for fans who've got problems. I don't know if anybody else uh, watching or listening or anyone in the chat has, has sent the box office an email, you know, asking what's going on. But I haven't had a response. I've spoken to people higher up the food chain at Newcastle United who have been unable to give me a response. Yet nearly every single other Premier League club has been able to at least tell their supporters what is going to be happening with their money. At the minute, we've got four games this season that we won't be able to attend. There's three, nearly four months of next season's money that's been taken out of supporters' accounts. And we have heard precisely nothing from the current people who are in the football club. And I think that's that's quite insulting, personally. Uh, they're still sending out email communications about you know YouTube videos and, and stuff like that. So there are people at the club trying to with fans but to not get in touch and say you know when people will be refunded, particularly in a, a time such as this. It's probably one of the worst things that 
well, they've done, in my opinion, while they've been at the club. Um, that's quite a hard competition to get to the top of. Thank you very much, Alex. Uh, Mark, it's obviously it's important to to know that there's some fantastic people that work at the club, fantastic uh, guys, you know, that do the, the the kind of highlights reel and the social media, and it, it's it's there is a good team there and a good foundation to build on for for hopefully when the new owners do come in. Yeah, I, I think that's the thing. I I know it must appear to a lot of fans from the outside as if as if this is a club that's totally rotten to the core but it, and that's not the case you know there are a lot of good people there as well what I, what I think that it it doesn't have is it doesn't have a, a structure that's filled with 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 people with football experience you know you, you've had for years and years really no no nobody other than the manager or head coach and then effectively Lee Charnley making the football decisions now the problem with that is he's also in charge of myriad other departments as well. Um, most clubs in the Premier League have either a sporting director or somebody in charge, somebody as a football executive. Now, my big problem with Newcastle United is there's not enough people in that football club who understand football. If there were, some of the decisions that have been made, which were the wrong ones, wouldn't have been made. For example, Steve McLaren would never have been the, the head coach of Newcastle United. And, you know, they pursued him for seven months um, you know, somebody, well, it was Lee Charnley who made the call that he was the right man for the, for the job. Now, you know, they needed, they needed people in there who were, who had more, who have more experience, who are able to counsel them and, and, and who actually will be listened to as well. That's, that's the, been the big problem. As Lee said, you know, Mike Ashley hasn't been interested in bringing in people who, who will, um, who, who will go against him. And, and he would say, well, look at Rafa Benitez, where he came in, it, you know, the whole thing went, went wrong. And that would be his attitude. Whereas my attitude would be, Raf Benitez was here. He pushed the club to improve. He knew what needed to be done at the football club. Um, and he was almost his own director of football in some ways because he was pushing for improvements that, that really weren't going to have an instant impact on his job as first team manager. But that's the problem at the football club. It's not to do with you know, the, some of the really good... You know, we, we deal with the, the press team and I know they get, they get a lot of stick on social media. People... Um, people hammering the official account and stuff. But believe me, that press team, those lads are really good. There's a fantastic club journalist there, a video team, um, guys who've been there for a long time who understand the football club. They, they, I'm sure they're probably, although they wouldn't be able to say it privately, as excited by the idea of new people coming in and being able to tell positive stories as, as we all are. Um, but it's, it, there are good people there, but they need help. They need, um, they need uh, basically support. It, it's, it's a club with, a really skeletal um, executive staff there, you know, and, and not people who, um, you know, maybe they maybe need a bit, of, they need a bit of help effectively, in my opinion. Simon, if, can you tell us about your kind of experience with Mike Ashley from a, a national point of view? Uh, sketchy. Um, we, we saw him, a couple of us, me and George actually um, ambushed him in a, in a, um, a press box in a pre-season friendly in Mallorca. Um, and vaguely got him talking um, small talk till he was dragged away by Lambias, um, who we later got on quite well with. And then also we we went to a sports direct meeting um, years ago, uh, a sports direct shareholders meeting. We bought shares so we could get in and ask questions about the relationship with um, between Newcastle United and, and Sports Direct. So um, you know, this he's he's. There were there are some things that he tried to challenge. He tried to challenge football's orthodoxy. So 
he wanted to challenge agents' fees. He wanted to do differently. He wanted to charge journalists for um, for interviews and that kind of thing. Um, so he 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 kind of came into the business wanting to do things differently, but he ruined it all within months by appointing Kevin Keegan and then dumping on him. So he, he never gave himself a chance to to make any make three or four decisions in the in in a row which were correct. Um, so he's kind of a, a maverick guy. You can see him taking over a football club somewhere else and a lower division one and, and building it up and, and, and maybe shaking the game up. And if it's going to be an austerity sort of regime in the next few years with COVID happening, maybe he can do a job somewhere, but not at Newcastle. He's not got the ambition or the vision for Newcastle and he, and he never did have. He almost got it right with Rafa, but then couldn't keep him. So, um, yeah, he's he's not been great. There's a, I was reading up on him the other day. There's a quote from the Daily Mail interview last last year where he said he would give himself one out of five rating for his the job he's done at Newcastle. And he said he said in that interview, I didn't so much shoot myself in the foot, I blew my leg off. So that's how Mike Ashley accept, um, assesses Mike Ashley. There you have it, Lee. One of the the next questions is about what the new owners might do. The guys have mentioned kind of. And one bot mentioned it, not putting the right people in the right places, um, you know, making the wrong decisions. And one of the questions is, and I've lost the question, it was about a director of football and whether that would be the right way to go. Um, I do apologise, I've lost the name there. But director of football, is that something you can see happening should the takeover uh, get passed? Well, I mean, it's a sporting director, certainly very fashionable at the moment. I know the there's a lot of people, good people out there who've done the, the degrees and the courses and all the, all the badges you need to do that role. Um, I would like to see personally someone come in with uh, more of a, a hands-off role, someone in the background who's not going to interfere too much with the sort of front line of things. Um, I think someone like Brian Marwood's done a brilliant job at Manchester City where people don't even realizes he's there almost he just keeps it ticking along and you know he's left all the the first team stuff to um to, to Pep Guardiola and, and his team and it's worked similar at other clubs uh, particularly in Europe um obviously you don't the last thing you want is a personality clash to kick all this off uh you know we had Joe Kinnear here twice uh, as I've mentioned he's, he's got a couple of mentions tonight but he uh the second time he come, I couldn't believe it because uh, we were able to, because a few of us had his number from the, from the last time, we were able to to get straight through to him and he was confirming everything before the club had even released the press release. Uh, he was happy to be quoted. He was happy to go on the record and say he was there to stand by Alan Pardew's side. And I did think that because Mike Ashley had fell out with Alan Pardew, I did think there was a, a bit of a wind-up going on there. And while it is... It's kind of funny um, from some aspects. The other thing is Newcastle United, quite a serious business. Fans pay the money to see Premier League football and we need to get the club back to a serious state where it, it's not Mike Ashley's plaything anymore. It has to be um, something where we are competing. And, you know, as I say, I love that banner, a club that tries. Uh, I, I think that'd be great if that could be re reproduced in some way from a PR point of view. Uh, and that can be the the mantra going forward. I guess, Sean, if the director of football is the route that do go down, and you've, you've kind of got to get it right, haven't you? I mean, we've seen before where it's taken maybe two or three managers and big clubs have been taken over to get it right. But 
you know, this is this is a huge deal. It's going to make Newcastle one of the richest, if not the richest club in the Premier League. So you, they've got to get that decision right, whether it is to bring one in or it's not to bring one in. And if it is, they've got to get the right person involved. Definitely. Um, in terms of what they, what, what they can do, um, on, on the board for a start, they can they can make sure they've got a good mix of football people and people who you know have got a good idea of the technical side of things. Um, with any director of football, they're going to have to have a good relationship with the manager first and foremost. So if, you know if they decide to stick with Steve Bruce, fine. If Steve Bruce is comfortable with the director of football, that's going to be an important thing. If they go down a route where as a Pochettino, again, it's going to be someone how he's comfortable working with, or as it just won't work. You, 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 can, you can go down. As many managers as possible who you know who who don't like the director of football because they didn't like the person they were working with. If they've got a good report, it'll work. It's as simple as that. Um, you know, and if they are going to do it, they're going to have to make sure they do. So they, I think they have to bring someone in with someone with proven experience for a start. Um, you know, because if they are going to come in and spend the big money, and they're going to entrust that into a sporting director, it's going to have to be someone who's got vast experience and, and, and major contacts in European football. It can't be someone who's, who's a novice. It's going to have to be someone with proven experience. Keo in there, uh, Sean mentioned Steve Bruce. And we asked what I'm bought on this question. I'll open it up to the full panel. What, what does the future hold for Steve Bruce if this tip ever gets signed off? I mean, A, does he deserve credit? And B, does he deserve a chance? He made it clear a few days back that he would love the chance to work under... Uh, owners that want to take the club further forward than the current ones. So, where do you stand on that? On them too? Does he deserve credit, and does he deserve a chance to stay on? Yeah, I think he does deserve credit. When you think, I think it was twenty-five days between him being appointed, the reaction that got, and then the first game against Arsenal. And there have been some rocky times. We all remember that Leicester game. Um, but you know, he, he, they're in thirteenth. They're in the quarterfinals of the FA Cup, and. The players definitely playing for him. They like him. Um, he's he's harnessed that spirit that has been such a key part of the club the past three four years. So I think he he has he has he would say himself he's done okay. He probably feels if he was given the chance he could push the club on, um, and that's the big question. But you know, as far as the job he's done, you know, he's got them pretty much safe, and I think that is what was expected. You know, um, but at times the situation background to his appointment you were fearing the worst um but it's to his credit that that timeless quality he has as a man manager that you know really made him stand out 15 years ago even with millennials it still is such an important quality and that's why the players love him it's not because you know he knows how to play six different systems it's because he's a man manager and really it's up to the owners if this does come off and do they want someone like that or do they want someone with you know the I suppose the Champions League experience, the, the experience of challenging for titles, Steve Bruce would be the first technology doesn't have that. Um, but I think if they come in, there's still some of the season left. It really would be totally bizarre to get rid of them um, right now because I think he's made his name as a firefighter and you know to have nine games to the end of the season, you've you got to stick with him. Just before I ask Mark on his opinion, can we have a show of hands who A thinks Steve Bruce deserves credit for getting Newcastle in the position where takeover can happen? Just to raise your hands if you if you think you deserve some credit. Okay, and again, if raise your hand if you think you should stay on. May, Simon Jordan said yesterday, give him a year under new owners. I mean, let's just say, should he stay on for six months to a year? 
Yeah. Okay, right. Mark, what, what's your, your, your question on that? Uh, answer, sorry. Well, I think, it's a difficult one because I, I do think he deserves credit. Yeah, I think he's done, I think he's done a, a decent job in terms of results, in terms of what he, what he picked, uh, picked up in the summer. It, things could have gone very wrong. And, and, and don't forget, after that Leicester game, I think we, we all probably thought it was going to go wrong. He was actually under quite a lot of pressure. Then um, he's turned it around after that. And he turned it around again. I think when things started to look as if they were they were going the wrong way in 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 January, and and, and I think he deserves a lot of credit for that. And I think he'll come out of this job with uh, with his head held high. I, I think if you've got new owners coming in who've got a lot of money, um, no, I don't think he'll he'll get that opportunity to to take it take it forward with that money. And 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 I don't really think, to be honest, it it would it would work because I think most fans would be on his back the first time. Results, results went against him. So you know, I, I think it would. You know, sometimes it, it just is the case that it's better to make to make a change. If Mike Ashley was still here, um, you know, I have to say that I don't think. You know, I think Steve Bruce would 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 continue, and I think he probably have deserved to have done that job. I just think the dynamic changes, and I know people say about Mark Hughes and Manchester City and and and, and what happened there, but you know, that was that was slightly different uh, in the you know that they came they came in. During the season, he got a bit of time there, didn't he? But I think, you know, I have to be honest that I think they, they would look they would look at other people. Um, I know, but what Birdie said earlier about Rafa Benitez, that would be my personal choice as well because I think that um, he's got unfinished business at Newcastle. My understanding from people within inside the the buyers group is that it's not a done deal, despite what's being said. That that the idea that Rafa would come back, um, it's actually very complicated because he, he doesn't like to break contracts and he's got a very lucrative deal in China and there's a big, big buyout calls there as well. Um, and obviously people like Pochettino are on, on the market as well. But I, I just, I, I think Steve Bruce has done a, has done a good job. Um, some of the football has been pretty brutal at times, but they were getting better before, um, before the, the coronavirus changes came. And I think, you know, although it may feel a bit harsh to outsiders, I think, Newcastle fans will probably all be of the same opinion that um, it would probably, for a new era, when next season starts, whenever that is, it would probably be time to possibly look at a new manager. Uh, Simon, it wouldn't be the worst time to, to go out, would it? I mean, if you've led Newcastle United to a position where the takeover has been complete, I mean, you go back to previous attempted deals and there was talks of relegation clauses, you know, the, the price wouldn't be X amount of Newcastle get relegated, etc., etc., um, and obviously Newcastle aren't safe. You would say probably another four points, five points needed. But he gets that Newcastle are safe. The club gets sold, and it, he can he can walk out with his head held high. Yeah, I think he he'll fight his corner and he'll want to crack at it. But I mean, Kieran and Mark are dead right that he, you know we love Steve Bruce. He's in the fact I don't I don't think he comes across. We we maybe we don't get his personality across as best we can to fans or on the TV because when you see him in person and you meet him in person, you talk to him, and same with his players, you find that he's a really human guy. And there's not there's not a lot of those in football. <laughs> you know, you can you can meet egotists, people who fancy themselves, and all that kind of stuff. But Steve Bruce is a proper human being, and he he's a really top guy. And we're not saying that as mates of Steve Bruce defending him. But this um, this year he's he's done a he's done a really good job steadying it for steadying the ship from where he what he inherited in the storm when he came in in July, 
um, and he can hold his head high and he would back himself with money and would want to go. But the fact is, when you, when you have new owners with a load of money behind them, you just don't stick with the same manager. Everything, everything gets changed at that club. The whole thing gets changed. They start again. Um, and that might mean going um, back to the future and, and getting you know, getting Rafa on, on board if it could be done. It would be just. I think people would like people would would, would back that. It would. It'll, Bruce would hate that kind of talk now if he was listening to this because he would back himself and he's a proper human being. I mean, you mentioned that there was. I can't remember what game it was, but it was the run up to Christmas, and we walked into the the press room after the game, and I think Newcastle had won, and he'd laid on buckets of uh, bottles of beer, hadn't he? And he, you know, it was a nice Christmas uh, gesture to all the journalists in James's Park, which was a nice uh, way to celebrate Christmas. I can't remember what game That's it was. Way too chummy. Fans don't want to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get hammered for that. But yeah, but he is a he is a, he is a generous guy. And he, when you when you talk about a club that needs to communicate well and and project itself well and explain stuff, he's one of the managers. He's actually one of the managers in in my twenty years covering the club. He's one of the better ones at it. He's good. You know, he's he 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 can, he's a good communicator with fans, and you know that that's that's one of the that, that'll be a pity if that you know, to lose that if he goes. So was Rafa as well, by the way. People people, yeah. people kind of don't, you know. I I saw something that was was written a couple of weeks ago, sort of saying that oh well, Brucey, Brucey would will do this for you, but Rafa wouldn't. It's like no, no, no Rafa, Rafa was really personable and and gave us yeah. a lot didn't he I mean he'd, hours he'd hours support, sometimes oh. five or ten minutes on the record and then half an hour off the record explaining situations and putting everything in context and that really helped us cover the club as well it was it was brilliant Lee one of the other names mentioned is Pochettino Les is emailed in to say why the big kind of hoo-ha over him he's he's not won anything um, I mean he's you know, he took Spurs up to the, to the top of the table where you know they weren't and He's laid the foundations for them. I mean, you know, he's not going to be a name many fans would turn down if if he is indeed, you know, the new owner's choice. I think he would be a popular choice. Not everybody's choice, but I think he would be a popular choice. Did a really good job at Tottenham. Yeah, he didn't win anything. I mean, Kevin Keegan didn't win anything at Newcastle. Um, Sir Bobby Robson didn't win anything. It doesn't. That that is not the only thing. You want someone who can handle the job you want someone who's got the steely mentality to be able to deal with things if they start going wrong and we've seen with people like um steve mclaren um again joking here uh, a few others who when the when the going gets tough it's it, it's too much for them and i think pochettino's got the mentality to handle it um he's obviously got a great good good playing style um he's, he's attracted some big names there I think he'd be a, a decent choice. And he also, if you remember, at Tottenham, he worked for quite a long time without any budget and still did reasonably well. So I think he'd be a, a good choice. Uh, again, what Simon says, Steve Bruce won't want to hear um, people talking about his job before he's, he's left. Uh, I think there is a sort of level of disrespect there on that. Um, I just made a, a point in the forum there. I mean, if... If Steve Bruce somehow ends up winning the FA Cup this season, whatever format that's going to be, he's almost told the owners that you know he's as ambitious as them. We're a long way from that, of course. He's got to get past Man City at semi-final and then a final, wherever that may be, however it will be played out. But I think he certainly will feel he's in with a fighting chance to um, to at least be here at the start of next season. 
that has got to be his aim now. If new owners come in, it, he's got to be on that training field um, first day of pre-season. I was going to say July, but we're probably going to still be playing games in July. Um, he'll be aiming to be there on on day one of pre-season training and you know, seeing if he can you know, have that crack at it. But he's a realist. He'll know that you know, unless he's in the top half of the table and pushing for the top six, he won't be around Newcastle that long if they, if they are spending these big amounts of money. Um, so on the last few questions, then we've got um, a question regarding the stadium. And this is from Stuart Cameron. Lots of talk, obviously, about... Uh, potential expansion of the stadium or whether the sale of the, the land around it will, you know, hamper that or whether Newcastle might move as Sir John Hall once proposed to Leeser's Park. Um, and also the the, the old um, idea that was proposed to move St James's Park 90 degrees. Uh, Mark, what, what can you see happening with the stadium? Could you see a total, I mean, obviously we're talking, you know, probably many years down the line, but could you see an eventual move to to somewhere else? I, th- I think it's unlikely um, that they'll move from St James's Park. Um, you know, I think the the expansion opportunities have obviously been been reduced because of uh, because of what's happened with Strawberry Place. But it's my understanding that you know it has been mentioned to the new owners. I don't think they've necessarily mentioned it, but it has been mentioned to them that that land. You know, could could you make an offer that that, that those that those people couldn't? couldn't refuse you know I know that there have been discussions with the council um but from the new new owners already so that I mean that's a possibility I, I think it would be you know, where would you move to as a new as Newcastle United you know we've already seen that there are various sites in the uh, in the city that they've tried to move to um and I don't think anything's necessarily changed in terms of where they were looking to move you know Lees's Park I, don't, I can't see that happening you've got you've got a situation where that land the town mall land is obviously owned by Freemans I mean Simon might be able to, to uh, tell you a little bit more about that, but I, I can't see any of those places necessarily working. Where would you go out? You, 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 there's not, it's not really a city that has um, a huge amount of places where you can move. It's not like the out-of-town places um, where, where some of the other clubs have moved to. You know, Manchester obviously had had Eastlands, but that was built for them. You know, that, was, that, that wasn't that their own their own situation to go and build. So I, I think there'd be opportunities to redevelop the stadium a really successful Newcastle United could potentially need a kind of, could need another 20, 30,000 capacity on it. So it's, it's a big, uh, it's a big question mark um, for, for the owners, but I, I couldn't see them necessarily moving, uh, moving from St. James's Park. I know that I spoke to somebody um, a couple of years ago who mentioned the idea of rotating the stadium, rotating the pitch. And um, obviously that was one of the ideas that, 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 that had been floated to a previous consortium, I believe, um, but that did rely on strawberry, a strawberry place being uh, being in Newcastle United's hands, which is obviously something that at the moment is, isn't the case. Um, but you know, again, if if it is the case that, that the the owners come in and do everything and do the what we hope they could do, it, it, I, I don't think anything's off the table. Um, I know that I know that our, one of our reporters has spoken to the people who, who have strawberry, um, the land at strawberry place, and they say things are going ahead as as normal. Um, but obviously, the credit, you know, we're going into a very different economy. Um, you know, would they would how would they feel about if you could if they were offered a a very quick profit on that land? What would they think? You know, it, it's an interesting question. Let's put it that way. Um, and and it wouldn't surprise me if those are the kind of things that were up for up for discussion when um, when and if they they take over. 
certainly is. We've got I'm gonna we've got a question from Christian Rule. Um he was keen to to read this out. Um Christian, are you still are you still keen to read out? Yeah. Yeah, um, it, we'll, we'll go first to Sean. Um, if, yeah, Christian, can we direct your question there, please? Yeah, I mean, it seems kind of trivial in a way, but one of the few positives of the Ashley era uh, was the relatively low ticket prices, and especially the 10-year fixed-price deal. I think that was due to run out very shortly. I was expected a, a hike then, but do we think that prices will spiral, that tickets prices will shoot up with the new owners inevitably, and what the reaction would be to that? Sean, I mean, I, I mean, he's, yeah, Christian's right, you know, positive in terms of the, the ticket prices haven't been too bad at all. What do you, I mean, if the new one has come in, could you see them up in the prices maybe? I think it'd be an easy win to install some sort of ticket deal like that. I mean, back when, back when I was a, a teenager in, in, in sixth form and going to university, I was on those kind of fixed price deals and, you know, they were, they were great value um, when, I, when I was a kid over the level seven um, enclosure and um, good value for money. You, you saw some good games back in those days, the championship winning season, the 2010-11 season. Um, yeah, it, 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 it's going to be easy wins like that. I think that the, the new owners are going to try and instill to get the, the, the fans on side. That's one thing that will... Um, you know, the, the success of the, the, the FA Cup games this year... Obviously, cheap ticket prices, you've got to give credit where it's due. You can be cynical for the reasons that he did that, but, you know, there were good days out for, for young kids who wouldn't necessarily go um, otherwise. So, you know, again, that's, that's one easy win they, they can put in. Uh, you know, Warren Barton obviously spoke at the start of the podcast about, you know, he would love to be involved in the regime. And there's a number of former players who have come out and said they would love to be a part of the regime. One of the saddest things in the Mike Ashley era, and you know, I'm sorry, I'm digressing a bit here, but one of the, one of the saddest points in my Ashley era is the likes of Rob Lee, Alan Shearer, you know, legends of the club who feel ostracised from the current regime, who don't feel welcome in the stadium, and, and Kevin, Kevin Keegan, of course, one of the club's most successful managers, who he won't come back to the stadium while the current custodians are there. So you know, there's easy wins that they can that they can that they can do. The ticket price being one, bringing back legends and ambassadorial roles. In other roles in the club, if, if they're suitable, um, you know, that the easy things like that can get the fans quickly on side. Alex, um, your take on that, because obviously you would have maybe had some conversations about ticket prices and what have you. From the trust's point of view, can you can you shed any light on, on Christian's question? Yeah, definitely. And, and Christian, one of the things we got from the club this year is that those um, cut price ticket deals uh, were set to run until 23-24 season. So that is uh, that you know that is obviously if you're on one of those deals already that's a few years yes uh, of those cheaper prices but it also points to a wider issue the person who stands next to me at St James's Park pay, pays almost twice as much for their ticket because I'm on one of those long term deals so that's going to be a real issue for new for new owners to deal with that kind of inconsistency in prices and it makes no sense that two fans would be charged completely different prices for watching the same product so I mean you know we referenced before. You know this this massive issue about ticket refunds that looks like it's being kicked down the road to new owners as well. It's going to be a real thorny issue for them, and you've probably seen on social media already the idea of who gets access to tickets, assuming the takeover happens and everything we're like in terms of a new manager or Rafa coming back or Pochettino. There's going to be this mad clamour for tickets. It's definitely one for the new owners to keep an eye on and speak to. In my opinion, I'm, I'm biased. Speak to fans and fan organisations about what the best way to go is because it's an, an incredibly emotive subject. 
It is indeed. And Lee, um, we're coming to now the final couple of questions, but Sean mentioned there about easy wins and about getting some of these excellent ex-Newcastle United players involved again, the likes of Keegan, maybe you know, a statue for, for say, Joe Harvey, renaming the stand after after a legend, maybe Sir Boy Robson. I mean, it's it sounds a little bit trivial, but they always mean those things mean a lot to fans. You know, for me, Joe Harvey should have a statue without without question, given what he did for the club. You know, and to to just um, to honour th- those who have gone like Sir Boy Robson, give him a stand. You know, it's, it it would be a good gesture, and as Sean says, an, an easy win. Yeah, and I think they're all important, all them things that, that you mentioned. And I, I think it's something where fan representation needs to be key for that because they've got to get these decisions completely right. And I think, obviously, you've, you've seen the the Joe Harvey, it's like a small plaque, isn't it, at the side of the, the Gallagher stand. And, you know, it's a lot of people from that era would argue that that's not, not enough to... To, to honour that sort of that manager and that era and the whole Alan Shearer argument about the statue, how it's ended up outside where, where the toilets used to be. It's, you know, it's just some of the stuff you just couldn't, you couldn't make it up. So I think they've got to get the fan representation right on this and have people, you know, who care passionately about it the most help make these decisions rather than someone coming in and, you know, just looking at a few views on, on social media, they need to get these people around the table. There's no rush. You can do these decisions uh, one by one. You know, it can be a big project that more than one person can be involved in. So, yeah. And then as far as the ambassadors are concerned, uh, yeah, I mean, heard Kevin Keegan mentioned. I think that would be a great choice. Um, not not so sure. I'm sure he would want the manager's job anyway if you offered him it, but I'm, I'm not so sure all fans would agree with, with that aspect of it. But certainly if you wanted someone in there selling your club and, you know, selling it around the world and, and helping the club move on that way, there's no one better to sell things than, than Kevin Keegan because, let's be honest, he sold the club to world-class players in the, in the 90s who wouldn't have come to Newcastle without him. So I think there's got to be some kind of space for him on there. Um, and as for the rest of it, you know, we need to sit down with these people and, and see what they've got to offer. Kieran, it was kind of thought the last time Amanda Stavely was, was trying to buy the club that she did, um, or someone for her went round and had little conversations with maybe fan groups or what have you, just to kind of test the water. Do you, you, you got any insight on maybe whether that's happened this time? And, and, and we're talking about the easy wins and maybe, you know, whether it be the food bank or what have you, you know, them kind of, tentative kind of feel as have been put out? I think it's been slightly different this time. I think they've been so wary of anything being in the media this time, I feel, compared to last time, it seems a bit more open. Um, I think they learned lessons maybe from 2017. And to be honest, I think a lot of the groundwork was actually done in 2017 when it came to their plans because, yeah, a lot has changed in that time, but some of the things they plan to do then and everybody that plans to do it, you know, three years on, um, and I think, as Mark, I think, touched on, you know, they have been speaking to the council, they've spoken to, um, you know, the rugby team, they've they've done those kind of, had those conversations already, and they know what they're potentially walking into when it comes to the city, but actually going in, looking at the books of the club, I think that's going to be the real eye-opener for them. 
getting you know HR surveys on how staff felt, what they would like changed. These are all the kind of things that they'll want to do as new owners. But for me, as much as we're going to be focused on what happens on the pitch, it's getting that structure right in, in the hierarchy that they identify a commercial director, that they identify a, a CEO with football experience, that they bring in a sporting director. Because as much as, say, Man City, you know, they've had unbelievable wealth. They got it so badly wrong, their first few transfer windows, when you look at some of the money they spent. You look at the club now, you've got, uh, a sporting director in Bejeristine, you've got the CEO in Soriano and you've the manager in Guardiola who all sing from the exact same hymn sheet. So that's going to be key for them is, is getting that right. And then you can look at what to do with the infrastructure and, of course, um, players. Simon, anything to, to add to that? Uh, no, just putting all the controversial issues about the takeover aside, it's going to be turned into a proper club again. Um, where they try to be, they might not be able to be Man, Man City or Man United or Chelsea money-wise, but but they can be trying to be the best at everything they do, to you know to have the best backroom staff, best manager, get the best out of players. That's what they. That's what Newcastle's got to try and do. Just just be the best at what it can be, and they'll make progress. And there's absolutely no reason why you know Chef, look at Sheffield United now. They're fifth, sixth. Um, with the team they've got that's united and working hard, it looks like a big leap for Newcastle to make to be on the tails of that top four. But Alan Pardew did it remarkably in that season by hitting lucky on a, on a formula and, and a striker and CC, etc. Denver Bar. A, a good manager at Newcastle can do that with a budget. Um, and I think that, you know, if, if it goes through, and, you know, there could be exciting times, well, there will be exciting times ahead. There'll definitely be newsworthy times ahead. Um, and I think. You know, we'll have a professional club and a proper club built in front of us, which would be, which is great news. What, what we all want, isn't it? On to our final question, then it's a it's a three parter. So I will go to Lee first, and this is from Robert Dawson, where sorry, Robert Danson, sorry, who asks about the current board, about the current ownership, and what are they doing while this is all going on? Because there are issues that still need to be sorted. We we briefly mentioned some of them. Uh, one of them that he points out is contracts. Now, of course, there has been that agreement that contracts can be extended for a certain period during this COVID-19 crisis. But, Lee, I mean, one of the names is obviously it's Matty Longstaff. And, yeah, OK, you can extend it for, what was it, a couple of weeks, a month, perhaps. But the fact is that his future is still up in the air. And, you know, Robert wants to know, is are the board working towards a conclusion, not just on his future, but you saw Manquillo um, today as well his agent looking for, for a potential new club? Yeah, I, I think with my Longstaff, that's that's the one that, you know, really needs to be sorted out because he's weeks away from walking away from Newcastle after, you know, the kid was scoring a winner against Man United on, on his full debut and he's had shown so much potential um, this season, stepped up, he could have been going on loan to uh, League Two, he's ended up playing, you know, top-flight football. Called up to the England youth ranks, and I think he's done fantastic. For him not to be even around the table now, with a few weeks left of his contract, just seems really controversial. And it's again, it's the stubbornness of, of Mike Ashley. I'm not wanting to pay um, the, the the going rate. Uh, we know that Matty Longstaff's been offered a contract from a club in Italy. Um, who've offered him a lot more than he's been offered at Newcastle. Just because he's local, it, it shouldn't mean that he has to 
you know, play for less than he would get anywhere else. I think he's a player who could eventually be worth a lot of money. I can't, can't believe that they can't see that at Newcastle. Andy Carroll, I know a lot of people would probably say maybe don't give him a contract, but it's a decision that needs to be made still. Um, he's been told his contract meeting is now at the end of June and it's a bit like, like the, the season ticket the lads were saying there that it's been sort of you know just moved down the road and Mike Ashley seems to be you know leaving it for, for whoever comes in to sort it out so that coming through the door they would immediately have some decisions that need to be made but time is running out for someone like Matty Longstaff and if Newcastle lost him in the next you know, month or so, because he, he could get his contract extended, but he has to, and this is the short-term one you're talking about, Andrew, um, he could get it extended to play for the rest of the Premier League if it goes beyond June or July. Yeah. The reality is, you know, he might not want to do that because it could risk injury and it could mess up a move to a bigger club. So, there you go. And I mean, I guess that's one of the easy wins, isn't it? You could... Give Matty Longstaff a, a contract, a new deal, and you'd, you'd instantly get a round of applause from from uh, the fans. Mark, um, the other two questions concern the end of year accounts. Obviously, again, there's been a bit of a agreement that clubs can delay the accounts, uh, and Robert wants to know have you, have you heard anything more about that? And then we've we've covered the season tickets and refunds, but we will just go on the accounts. There. I mean, we. What do you foresee happening there? I mean, new one has coming in, so will that all get lost in the mire, do you think? Or My understanding um, before the, the coronavirus uh, pandemic sort of played out as it has was that they were planning um, the same sort of format that they did last year. They'd be briefing with Lee Charney. There was also going to be a presentation of the accounts with some explanation of, of the club's financial position, which my understanding was was, was quite healthy. Um, they were going to be talking about you know a similar size budget um this this summer if not if not a little bit more than they spent last year as well um, and if that's the if that's the case um if that if that if that was the case then i think that is possibly going to change um based on what's happened uh in uh, since since march now i think if it was the current regime that were um that were delivering the accounts i think you'd see some uh pretty you know pretty strong warnings about the impact that it would have on on the uh, on the financial picture of Newcastle United, so I think if obviously if new owners are in by then, the accounts will still have to be delivered because that's a legal obligation. But I think they've obviously got the extra four months, so that takes them to kind of August, I believe. Um, so I mean, we'll have a resolution on the Newcastle United takeover by August for certain, um, and it will just be then up to the new owners to sort of deliver deliver the accounts. But I know at Sunderland, when the Sunderland owners had their new um, they, they obviously brought. Uh, they they came in. Um, they sort of delivered the accounts, but it was um, it was the Alice short ones, and it didn't really offer a heck of a lot of insight into what they were doing. Um, so obviously, it, it probably won't be. Well, we hope it won't be the big story that's been the last few years. But but uh, obviously, as I said, I think when you look at, I think Tottenham have done their accounts since um, coronavirus. I think Manchester United have also delivered a trading update as well, and both of them have talked about the the humongous impact that the um, coronavirus has had on the on the Premier League generally and on them as a club um, and I think it would have a big impact on Newcastle United as well you know obviously they furloughed staff um, and, and look to look to cut costs as much as they could so I think if if the takeover doesn't go ahead um, I think I think you'd see them probably like the rest of the Premier League sort of tightening their belts a little bit but if there is new owners those accounts are not going to be quite as relevant 
um, as they would do before because it would obviously be new owners, new spending plans, new finances um, to kind of deal with. Fantastic. Well, just to finish off then, um, we'll go to Q and I'll ask the panel about their confidence in the table being complete. I'm not going to ask for any dates or timings because, well, you know, it's all up in the wind. But Kieran, we've seen the objections, you know, we've seen the issues raised. But what is your, what's your gut instinct telling you about Newcastle United takeover? Jeez, I hope it doesn't come down to this. Uh, no, <laughs> uh, uh, I, think, I think in a weird way it would have been shut down by now. If that's the way I'm looking at it. If there was something so serious, but equally they're obviously treating it so seriously that they're taking their time. I, I think it will go through, but I can see there being a legacy um, for the owners and directors test from this that it's changed it's tightened there's different kind of criteria going forward but um, I think it will go through but it's as I said before it, it's just kind of ironic that it's been the piracy issue rather than the human rights thing that's been the big issue um, but that's football now isn't it you know the Premier League have themselves taken it in their hands to, to write to the governments have complained they've gone to court about it uh, it's money uh, but equally they're going to want money coming into the league so I can see it going through but I think this will rumble on another while uh, Lane your, your opinion on that? What whether it will go through? Yeah, yeah your view yeah well you know speaking to as I say you know we start, we're we finished now we started here really uh, speaking to the people in and around it they're, they're confident that everything they've done is, is right I mean if people still want that reassurance you've got that those company house documents that, you know, it's not speculation yet. You, people have seen those documents and hopefully it, you know, goes through, it, you know, putting a date on it again, as I said at the start, um, a few people have already, you know, tried to do that. And, and I don't think that's the right way. I, you know, hopefully it goes through and, and people get the football club back. Sean, your, your take on it. Yeah, I agree with what the what the lads have already said. Uh, obviously, it's, we've mentioned a lot during this podcast that it, it is a very complicated issue. Um, but you know, er, everything you hear from 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 what, what you read and what what you hear from from people reporting on it from the from the um, the buying side is that they're still absolutely confident that it will go through. No one quite knows what the Premier League are thinking, but it would be unprecedented, I think, if it doesn't go through. I agree with what Kieran said. I can see if it does go through, there's going to be quite a robust robust change to the way and, and how stringent the Premier League and director test is going forward um, but yeah I'm, I'm, pr- I'm pretty confident it'll go through I don't think the questions will go away anytime soon I think you know, we'll be feeling those for a long time um, that story's going to rumble on there's going to be more things emerging there's going to be opposition to it because it's such an emotive issue you know the likes of Jamal Khashoggi's um, fiance. They aren't just going to go away. These are going to rumble on. But I'm pretty confident, well, as confident as I can be, that the takeover will go through. Before I get Simon's take on it, just a show of hands from my guests. Who is confident what that you know this takeover will go through? Just a... Okay, so seemingly... Oh, we can actually raise hands, apparently, on the... Didn't realise that. Uh, Simon, your, your take on... on your, what's your gut telling you about, about the takeover? Well, I think the Premier League ultimately well, is, is the ultimate capitalist organisation. And I think money talks, um, loads of issues can surround a takeover. But the lure of fresh investment coming into one of their major clubs, money swishing around the league in terms of transfers and wages, 
that that will be the, the Premier League is just capitalism defined, capitalism defined, and that's what they'll 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 bow down to in the end, and it'll come down to that, and it'll almost certainly happen, I would think. And Mark, can we get a full house? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean. Uh, the, my, my only issue is obviously that the Premier League uh, process is so confidential that we just don't know what's being said in there, and uh, you know, it could always be that there's a there's something that we you know we don't know about yet that's um, that's to emerge. Um, but I think on the basis of what we know, um, you know, the, the documents that were, were reported yesterday in the Guardian, bear in mind, have been with the Premier League for several weeks. So although it was presented as new information, which it was new information, um, it's not new information to the Premier League. It's not new information to the buyers. Um, either um, I think all parties, uh, the buyers and sellers, thought it would be resolved by now. Thought it would have been resolved long before now. Uh, the fact that it hasn't suggests that obviously this is much more complicated than than first thought. But I think, you know, it, it would be. It, I'd be so surprised if if the Saudis are as 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 full on as as we believe they are behind this bid. I'd be very surprised if um, if, if they don't end up in control of the football club because if they don't there could be legal action following this and it could get very messy back and forth uh, because there's a lot at stake um, so you know I think eventually um, Mike Ashley will no longer be the, the owner of Newcastle United um, in the, in the uh, relatively near future well there you have it fans hashtag fans uh, <laughs> yes he's doing that anymore are they because we've just got we've got, we've got <laughs> to the point where it's like oh god Nobody's doing that anymore, but, uh, but I'm sure we will win it.